Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yeah, that's loud. <laughs> Amen. Come on. Well, I just want to... I want to share some good news. Is that okay? Take a minute before we start. Um, This week has actually, believe it or not, been a very exciting week in the Thornton household. And uh, the reason why, two reasons why it's been really exciting, but the primary reason why it's been very exciting is because about the middle of the week when Jonah, who was our fifth child, who was three years old, was in the bathtub, decided to get out of the bathtub and use the bathroom. Maybe some of you don't know, Amber and I, why is that exciting? Because as our fifth child, two years apart, we have been changing diapers for the last 10 years straight. And to come into a land of freedom. (laughs) I know more problems will, will come, but that is a huge milestone. We're not there yet. He still needs some work. He, uh... He's got the number one down, but then the day day after that, number two, he kind of went right on the floor in front of the toilet. So we're still working on that. Hey, it said church is to be a family. I'm letting you know that's real life, right? But we have been excited, so that's good news. Turn, I want you to open your Bibles with me and just turn to Matthew chapter 3 and 4. We're going to be there today. I want to share a message um, that I feel like the Lord really, really put on my heart this week. I just, it was so clear and, and uh, easy that how it just came about. But many of you remember a couple weeks ago, Pastor Tom just referenced it. Peyton McKeithen came and just shared an amazing word from, from the Lord in the house. And, and basically for maybe those who weren't there, it was a really challenging message that, you know, we all want to be saved. We all want the experience and the blessing of the abundant life. But sometimes it's hard when we get into this thing called holiness and living a consecrated lifestyle. And that's, in our generation, it's a hard, hard thing for a lot of people to accept. So I kind of want to pick up from that and kind of dive deeper in. So I know we had handouts today to give out, but I want to share a, a topic, and I call it the principle of consecration. The principle of consecration. In other words, what does it really look like in your life to live a consecrated life unto Jesus? What is true discipleship? What is a true follower of Jesus? How does that work? What are the challenges? What's expected of you? What does the Bible challenge you and invite you to participate in in becoming more like Jesus? I, I want to kind of dive in into that and um, the passages I want to stick to are the baptism of Jesus and the temptation of Jesus. These are, these are two amazing passages where we see all of these things come out to play. But uh, if you're with me, I just want to just open in prayer. Bow your heads with me. Let's, let's go to the Lord. Jesus, we just thank you right now. And we welcome your presence. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for who you are, Lord. And God, I just invite you to come now for the next few moments and just Get me out of the way. Get me out of the way. Anything that would hinder 
or, or block whatever you want to say, whatever you want to do, Jesus. Lord, I just ask, Lord, just come through this place. Fill this place, Father. Fill this house with your glory. Lord, send the spirit of wisdom and revelation to open our understanding to what you're calling us to do. God, I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, would you fill this place with such a presence of heaven, such a presence of love that it would be tangible, that you, our teacher, would be among us, God. So, Lord, I'm asking, Lord, go before us today. Open wide our hearts. Open our lives. Examine us, God. Come and fill us with your love and your peace, Jesus, God, that we would know you, that we would truly set our lives to following you, Father, because you're worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of everything, Jesus. And so, Lord, I, I ask, make yourself known today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Well, in Matthew chapter 3, there's an amazing story that takes place, and that is the baptism of Jesus. How many are familiar with the baptism of Jesus? The baptism of Jesus is a crowning moment in his life. Up until that point, we know nothing. All that we know is that Mary and Joseph, he grew up in that house. He was a carpenter from Nazareth. He lived in Nazareth. But that 30-year that window of his life, we, we don't know much. The Bible's not really clear. But we know that after the baptism, everything changes for Jesus. And he starts on the course of his life, his destiny. But there's many views, many angles we can talk about that. But the view for this morning that I want to submit to you is that the baptism of Jesus, there was a declaration. It was a proclamation, and the proclamation was Jesus was saying, look, I'm going to live my life consecrated to the Father. When I think about consecration and what that means and what Jesus was doing here, there's three areas, three realms of conse consecration that I want to hit on and make it really simple. Jesus committed his life first to the Father. The relationship was more important than anything. The second thing was he was committed to the Father's will for his life. And the third thing was he was committed to the way that the Father had marked out for his journey to get to that will. That's living a consecrated life. And the challenge to us this morning is are we willing to commit to all three of those arenas just like Jesus did? So when Jesus comes to the Jordan, it's a proclamation to the powers of darkness. That holiness and purity is still the standard of heaven. Woo! And he's going to model and demonstrate to you and I what true discipleship looks like. In Matthew chapter 3, verses uh, 13 through 15, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Look at this. This is amazing. But John said, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me. But Jesus replied, and this statement is so powerful, let it be so now, John, for it is proper for us to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? In order to fulfill all righteousness, this was Jesus saying, listen, in order to do what God wants, what the Father wants, there is an order, there is a process that I, even I, have to submit to, John, and it's called the principle of consecration. So even I have to come underneath your ministry, I have to come underneath what the Father's doing through you so that I can model to everybody else that will follow me what it looks like 
to live a life committed to Him. He models us for that. You know, it's, a, it's amazing, the baptism. There, there's, so many, there's so many amazing things. Right after that experience, we know what happens. We may go there in a little bit, but the heavens break open. The Father comes down. This is my Son. But I want to pick up, look at this next verse. Matthew 4, verse 1 through 2. We never pair these together, but this is the, immediately what follows. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Highlight that. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Do you see the contrast in these two encounters? On one hand, there's a powerful encounter of revelation, clarity, and light. Immediately following, there's an encounter of spiritual darkness and depravity. That's how it works in our lives. A lot of time, God will move in your life, and there will be an amazing encounter where he shows himself to you. You feel the fire of the Lord. You get excited. He moves in you. Then immediately following that, you'll go into a season of almost darkness. It's not to punish you, not to challenge it, but he's doing something. Now, this thing about Jesus going in to the baptism and then the desert, it's very, he's doing something here. It's not just like coincidence. What's he doing? Let's provide a little Old Testament context here. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So what is he fulfilling here? Well, in Leviticus chapter 16, verses 6 through 9 and 21, It was customary in the Old Testament, there was a holy day of the year. It was called the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. On the Day of Atonement in Yom Kippur, when Israel was in the desert in the Old Testament, the Lord commanded Moses and the Israelites to bring forth two sacrifices in the form of two goats. One goat would be offered to the Lord just to him, to a thank you offering, a worship offering, and that blood was then sprinkled all over the ark and the instruments to make things holy. The second sacrifice was another goat, but it was a little bit different. That goat wasn't to be slaughtered at the altar. That goat is more or less known as the scapegoat. And the purpose of the scapegoat was the high priest, who was Aaron, had to stand in the place of intercession And he literally was a prophetic symbol and act that took the sins of all the nation, all the people. And then he would transfer those sins on the head of this goat. After that happened, in the place of prayer and consecration, a Levite was chosen to put a rope around the goat's neck and then lead that goat into the desert for three days and then lead him going. And that goat would eventually die and wander in the desert. In Leviticus, we, we pick that up. So what does, what does that say? I want to read it. Leviticus 6, 21. It says, And Aaron shall lay his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel, all their transgressions and sins. He shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away in the wilderness by the hand of the man who's in readiness, the Levite. The goat shall bear all the iniquities to itself into a remote area and go deep into the wilderness. God knows. I just want to brag on Jesus for a moment. In the New Testament, it's a little bit different. Jesus fulfills both sacrifices. 
We know that because he goes to the cross and he gives his life to the Father and, and he makes the blood atonement the sacrifice. But he's also the scapegoat because in the desert he allows the Spirit, which is God's Levite, to lead him into the wilderness. Woo! So that he can take the transgressions and the sins, not only in the present, but the past and the future, and drive them away into a desert place, never to return to the people of God. Oh, hang with me here for a moment. Why in all the, I just had this conversation last night. Why in all the places would the, man, the Spirit is leading Jesus. There's something happening at baptism. Well, why would the Spirit lead him into the desert? Why didn't it lead him into Capernaum? Why didn't it lead him into Egypt? Why didn't it lead why did it lead him into that desert? Because in that desert, my brothers and sisters, his own forefathers failed because they murmured and complained. They had a promise from God. They had an encounter from God. But because they weren't faithful to the commitment and could not pass the test of consecration, they died in the desert. If they died in the desert, like the Bible says, over a million people, then what's in that desert? Bones. It's a cemetery. It's a graveyard. But Jesus is walking on the bones of their failure, on the bones of their ability not to be committed and consecrated to God and saying, that's okay. I'm going to redeem what you couldn't. I'm going to take back what Adam couldn't do. I'm going to restore the lost and the broken, and I'm going to repair and fix things. My goodness, because I am now the sacrifice. My God. Do you see that? He removes the sins of the past and the present and the future. He's the only one that can make a right out of a wrong that your great-granddaddy did. He's the only one that can do that. Not only that, listen, in the place of your sin and our sin, in the place, you know what I'm talking about in that place? Let me, let me take you down there. In that place is where the enemy whispers to you, you're no good. You're no good. You can't write. You're fat. You're ugly. You can't do it. There's no one likes you. No one loves you. There's no one around. That's the enemy that screams in your voice. In that place where you believe that lie, Jesus says, I'll redeem it. I'll restore it. I'll break it. And not only does he do that, listen, this is the beautiful thing about God. He just doesn't restore you and redeem you and set you free. But in the place of your sin, he transfers the blessing of God in heaven. Yeah. So now, not only are you free, but you are going to get vineyards you didn't plant, cities you didn't build, checks you didn't write. Woo. I'm, so, I'm fired up this morning. You're going to have to hang with me. Do you see how that works? He gives you things you don't deserve. He gives you things you didn't work for. Why? Because you yield and you surrender your life to him and you're committed. That's what he does. That's what he does. The baptism of Jesus is a declaration of consecration. Unto life and unto death. Many people want to live the life and be committed to the Lord unto the life, but there's an unto the death part that he is wanting us to go to. 
If that means that I'm telling you you're going to die when you walk out of here, I'm saying that you're committed your life to him in such a way where you have no idea what's going to happen. And wherever that path leads, you are committed to following it, no matter how hard it gets. That's what Jesus had to endure when he went into that desert. He faced three challenges. These challenges Jesus faced in the desert, you and I will face if you haven't faced them already. But these challenges aren't to keep us down. They're to build us up, and they're encouraged and to encourage us and to strengthen us. So let's talk about the first challenge. We're going to do three. The first challenge is the challenge of provision. The challenge of provision. Matthew 4, 3 verses 4, look at what it says. It says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. You know, he was hungry. I don't know about you, but when I don't eat for about a day, I get hungry. Me and Amber say, hangry. You ever see that Snickers commercial where it's like they're wigging out and then they turn into some other person and then they get the Snickers bar and they get back to themselves? Get a little hungry. Jesus, I can imagine, was hungry. 40 days, 40 nights, no food. Said then the tempter came, well, why don't you turn these stones into bread because I know you're hungry, Jesus. But look at what the Lord said. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I want to just unveil the temptation here. Satan, look at that. Satan is tempting Jesus. Who's your provider? You know, you have the power to be your own provider. Turn them into bread. Mm. But Jesus said, I'm committed to the Father. He is my sole provider. The challenge here is who or what in our lives is the sole provider? Is he really, is he really the sole provider of your house, of your family, of your job, of your provision? Is he really the sole provider? You see, for Jesus, you got to think about that. When Jesus come out of the baptism into the desert... There was no turning back. Do you hear what I'm saying? There was no turning back. When Satan said, are you going to provide bread for yourself? In essence, what he's saying is, you have the power and the ability to make a good living for yourself, Jesus. You can do it. That would be the way to go. Why don't you do that? And in our lives, how it works is that when we make a commitment and we step out to the Lord and begin to commit our life to him, we're challenged with this. Who's going to be your provider? Because what happens, he leads you into a desert place where there is no provision. He led him into a desert where there was no Walmart. There was no Panera Bread. I looked. I checked. I couldn't find it. There was no bakery. There was nothing, no challah bread, no whatever they ate. There was none of that bread there. There was a place of no provision, no water, no growth, barrenness, and death. How would God do that? Well, let me tell you, you follow God long enough, you'll find out. He'll lead you to a dead end sometimes. But it's in that place where there is no provision in sight, there is no hope in sight, there is no breakthrough in sight. He's saying, what are you going to do? Are you going to provide for yourself, or are you going to trust the Father and make him the sole provider of your life? It's in that moment we're tempted to do this right here and go back. 
But there was no carpentry business for Jesus to go back to. He couldn't go back to Nazareth and make a living. He couldn't go back there and do another job because he had made a commitment and he had to follow through. Do you hear the word this morning? The Lord is wanting us to be a people who are committed to what he's calling us to do. Sometimes that commitment will be challenged, but it has to be challenged or else it will not grow in your hearts. No fallback plan, no former career, no turning back, only absolute surrender to the Lord, his will and his path. This is the consecration. This is, we're talking discipleship this morning. This is following Jesus. Let me put it this way. What does this mean? I don't know about you, but I, I just look it over my life. We, our lives, as we follow the Lord, I believe we all have a consistent theme. That theme is we have encounters. We have encounters in God that, that, that I think are designed to shape us. They're designed to mark us. I, I mean, I can at least list two or three in the last 14 years that have been pivotal encounters in my life. Now, it may look different for all of us, and it's going to look different, but you have to understand and know here that that is an encounter you have with God, and nothing can change it, okay? That's it. That's what they're designed to do, but here's, here's the breakdown in the body. The breakdown comes is once you have the encounter, what happens is that encounter now has to go through a process where it's challenged. And commitment is how the encounter is able to be cultivated and developed. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? The encounters that we have with the Lord have to be developed. They have to be cultivated. They have to be stewarded and grown. And the only way that I can see that that happens is by how we commit our lives after that point. We had an encounter here, but now are we willing to commit to what we just encountered? Because what that does is it grows roots deep inside of you. Because I've seen a many a people get on fire for God, get on the spirit, talk in tongues, cast out devils, go running around, having a word, flowing in prophets. I've seen so many of my friends on fire, overcame drugs, alcohol, addiction, on fire. But then that fire gets dim and it begins to burn out. And then the next thing you know, they're drifting back to try to make a living, to try to get some form of happiness in their life. And the next thing you know, they're out the church. The next thing you know they're in the club the next thing you know they're in the obituary i don't know what world y'all live in that's the world i live in i got a list of friends that way that's exactly what happened but what's the what's the examination on that is they had an encounter for sure but they failed to commit they failed to commit when it got hard that's what separates the men and the boys that's what separates the women and the ladies come on y'all Fired up. <laughs> I I just give you an example. So I'm going through it right now. I had when when I was at Potter's Wheel, a drug alcohol rehabilitation center, coming off of crack cocaine of ten years, just learning to know the Lord, just learning to read my Bible. I was saved and transformed. But now I didn't know what to do. One morning I'm praying, and, and God, he just shakes my heart. I, I start crying. I hear his voice, and he says, go outside. There's a pine tree out there. And I go outside, and there's this massive pine tree. It's 60 feet tall, 
and I look up at the pine tree, and the Lord says, Michael, if you obey me and follow me all the days of your life, then I will bless you like the bark on this pine tree. And I felt him. It was an encounter. What was he doing? God was stepping into my life, and he was saying, let me be your sole provider. The way you've done it before is not working. Let me be your sole provider. And I said yes to that. I hugged the tree. I put my hat, I collapsed on it. I cried. I ripped a piece of the bark off. I was like, go start right now. <laughs> but you know what happened? A month later, that was challenged. God said, now I'm going to take you out of your comfort zone. I got comfortable there. He said, I'm going to take you to Bible college, which I was scared to death because I couldn't hardly read and write. I mean, you come in off a crack pipe for 10 years, you can't even form a sentence. I mean, it was just incredibly difficult, incredibly intimidating, and I just thought I would be a laughingstock. No, no way. But I knew deep down that's what God wanted me to do. Long story short, I, I applied. I'm still in the rehab center, and, and I got accepted if I could get money to get in the door, basically. They said, so you have to apply for a grant. Well, I have no money in a rehab center. I, have a, I had a worn out for my arrest. I had a trash bag of dirty clothes to my name. I owed a lot of money. I didn't have zero. Is that right, Mom and Dad? <laughs> so I, I filled out this true story. I filled out the paperwork, and about a week or two later, I got a letter in the mail from the college. Congratulations. You received, you know, this grant and $5,000 award. Man, I was on fire. I was on fire, y'all. I was like, oh, my God, $5,000. I'm going to school. This is a dream. And then I even shared it that night. We had our church meeting, the leadership. I was running around with the paper. Look at God. Look at God, y'all. Look at God. And then the next morning, I got up early, had that cup of coffee, started praying, took out the letter and actually read it, the fine print. My mistake. So it was an award letter, but it was to receive a $5,000 loan, to take out a loan for $5,000, not that I'm going to get $5,000. And my little heart sunk, and my spirit was crushed, and I thought, well, there goes that. Ready to give up that quick. And I went to the Lord, and I'm like, God, I don't have any means here. This is what you're telling me to do. I, I don't know what to do. And I'll never forget it. God spoke to me, y'all. This is what he said. He said it funny, but I'll never forget it. He said, Michael, if you take out that loan, I'm going to pay it back. If you don't take out that loan, I'm going to pay it back. He said, whatever you do, I'm going to pay it back. Just follow the grace and where it leads you. I waited two days. No money came in. I took out a loan. I got into school. I met my wife, Amber, and that next two years, my college tuition, books, dorm room, everything was completely paid for through anonymous checks, through anonymous donors for two years. I encountered him at the pine tree. A year later, I was challenged, will I commit to it? Will I commit to that? Will I, will I, instead of going out and trying to get a job to produce money to get into college, I had to go that way. One more step on this thing. Five years later, we're at Regent University. God used those same pine trees to bring me to Global River. We were sitting, I was sitting there five years later. I had just met this church. Pastor Tom asked me to go on a mission trip to Africa. Didn't know hardly anybody here. I prayed about it. God said, 
you have to go. I want you to go on this mission trip. My boss at the time in Virginia said, you cannot go. If you go on that mission trip, you will lose your job here. I had two more years to work. I needed to work. I prayed, what am I going to do? I went on a run that day. Went to the middle of the campus. Beautiful campus. In Virginia Beach, they don't have pine trees like North Carolina. I sat there on the campus and I was on the bench crying, God, what do I do? He said, look up. I looked up and there's not one but two massive pine trees in the middle of the campus where there are no pine trees. He's come on, and he said, remember what I told you. If you obey me and follow me, I will bless you like the bark on this pine tree. Why is there two trees, God? Because you're married now, son, and you got children. So I'm so good that I'm going to allow the provisional blessing and promise not just to come over you, but your wife and your children and your children's children. I quit my job in 24 hours, and Amber quit hers. We went out on faith. We got to the mission trip. Here we are. One last step on this. I'm sorry. Ten years later, this is last year, I'm now finding myself back in school for a doctoral program. After all of that schooling, I'm being real vulnerable and honest with you. We were in there. God provided a lot. Regent is expensive, and we had to live there. So Amber and I together probably amassed about 150000 It's like Monopoly money to us. $150,000 of college loan debt. Okay? God said. So now, here I am, five years out of school. God gives me a dream and a word to go back to school. All of you know I've shared it here before. To go back to school for a doctoral program that's going to add another fifty to 75000 It doesn't matter by now. Onto the debt that we already have. Well, that doesn't make sense, does it? Because God shouldn't, you shouldn't be in debt. God shouldn't want you to be in debt. I believe that. I agree with that. But let me tell you what the Bible says. Sometimes he's going to lead you into situations that don't make sense logically. He may lead you into a season of debt. He may lead you in there because he's trying to teach you something. Listen, he led Daniel to Babylon. He led Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to a fiery furnace. He led Paul to a shipwreck, to beatings on the back. He led Peter to a beheading. I mean, sometimes he's going to lead you to places that are not going to be pretty and fun. But the reality is if you are willing to commit and follow it, there's purpose in it. There's purpose in it. That's the difference. There's purpose in your prison. There's purpose in your desert. There's purpose in your depression. There's purpose in your isolation. There's purpose in your divorce. There's purpose in your broken relationship with your children. There's purpose. There's purpose there. I got overwhelmed because I started taking my eyes off of it and getting all in the flesh. And I'm thinking, God, another 75,000. Man, this is like, it don't even make sense anymore. And I'm sitting, it, it comes real when you're doing the fast food and you actually have to take it out. So then I was like, Lord, what do I do? He said, oh, Michael, if you take out a loan, I'm going to pay it. If you don't, I'll pay it anyway. I said, okay, Lord. So I took it out because I have a word and I'm committed to following that plan no matter what it looks like temporarily because I know there's purpose in it. What is all that done? That has formed roots in my life. 
to know that he is my sole provider. That's what I challenge you with here today. Is he really your sole provider? Is he really the sole provider? Because he's going to challenge you. But in the challenge, I encourage you, commit. Commit to it even when it doesn't make sense. There's purpose in it. Number two. Number two, the second challenge. It's the challenge. Woo, it's a big one. Help me, Jesus. This is the challenge of validation. This is the challenge. Every one of us going through this one. It's the challenge of validation. Matthew 4, 5, and 6. The devil took Jesus to the holy city. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I told you I sweat. The devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Sometimes we read through this and we don't catch it. He took him to the holy city, which was what? Jerusalem. To the highest point of the temple. Very important. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he'll command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it's also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. So here's the second challenge to your commitment or your personal consecration to follow Jesus. It comes in the form of a few questions. Where are you receiving your validation from? Who or what are you allowing to define who you are? What you're worth and what really gives your life value. This is a huge challenge. This is a big challenge. So to guide us, let me provide us with a few things of where not, of where not, where to receive our validation from. Are you ready? Roll with me. Number one, the stage. The stage. In our current church culture in America, there is such a crave to be in the spotlight. There is a belief that can happen in the church that only if I can get on this stage, get a hold of that microphone, tell the people what's inside of me, tell the people what God is showing me, then they'll accept me and then they'll understand. That's a belief system that creeps in. But what's happening is a lot of people don't even realize it, but we're looking to this to give our validation. We're looking to the public platform to validate who we are and to validate our personality, our character. That's a huge problem. It happens. It's right now in America. And I see so many young folks especially, they drift to that. They drift to thinking that this is going to validate them. If I can just have the bigger the crowd or the bigger the audience, then I will be accepted. Then I will be noticed and recognized. Oh, I'm getting close now. I can feel it. But you cannot get your validation from here because it will never come from here. Number two, the second trap that a lot of people make, I've made this one, is people. A lot of times, if we're not careful, we'll look to people, we'll look to people to get our validation, to get our value in life. Let me explain. A lot of times, have you ever had somebody in your life that you really love and admire? Maybe a hero, maybe someone in the faith, maybe a famous preacher, a famous worship leader, maybe a famous business 
executive or somebody who was a pioneer in the field or the department you work in, you know, somebody that you really love and admire, there's a fine line here because we're to honor one another. And even the Bible says in Proverbs 3.27 that we're to give credit where credit's due. So there's an honoring that comes with that. There's an honoring that comes with the fathers that go before us. But then there is this line where we can kind of drift over and we can get to this place where we love them so much that they're the only place we can get value from. Or they're the only ones that can identify or give us identity. And so everything in our lives are aimed to this point to get a pat on the back from the hero or from the people that we admire. That's what, it happens in life. And when we're not careful, then we're looking for that esteem and that, 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 that encouragement and, and all those things. I fell into that trap several times. And I would find myself drifting. And then I would hear the Lord say, wait a minute, Mike. Was Apollos crucified for you? Did Paul die for you? Did Billy Graham die for you? Did A.A. Did Allen die for you? Did William Seymour die for you? Did John Wesley die for you? Did Bill Johnson, has he died for you? All of them, have they died for you? No, you have only died. He said, Michael, don't look there for your validation. Honor them, love them, encourage them. But don't look there for the validation. The third one, right? Gifts and work. So many people find their identity in what they do. So many people find, I see this all the time. I did it for many years. You, you, you get in this mode where you try to find your worth in life by what you do and how well you do it. So let's say you have a task and you're good at it and you get some applause or praise from people. What's going to naturally happen if you don't have a healthy relationship with God? That you're going to keep doing that in order to receive more praise, more acclamation, more accolades. And it's not even that you're intending to do that. It's a natural occurrence that happens. And so the next thing you know, years go by and you have done built your identity on the basis of whether you did a good job or not. Hello? But, but this is not the gospel. It's not the gospel that Jesus died for. Work is great. Work is needed. Gifts and talents are needed. The stage is needed. The public arena is needed. These things have their place. And so they are needed. Don't hear me wrong. But they cannot be the source to validate who we are. That right is reserved for Christ and Christ alone. Now, connect this to Satan and Jesus. Now, why do you think he takes them to the temple? Because the temple in that culture was the central point of all life. There was a theocracy kind of government going on. So that means there was a tie between the government and the spiritual arena, the religious life. So the temple was the center of it all. Here at the temple, you had crowds of people was the point. Tons of people all the time. But in that crowd of people, you had important people. You had the chief priests. I mean, the chief priest had some authority. I mean, he was like the governor, the president. He had, he had authority. Then he had a whole layer of teachers and Pharisees and scribes that were important people. You had tax collectors. You had government people, CEO people, CFOs, financial gurus. Do you see what I'm saying? All marketplace leadership is here at this temple. 
So what does Satan do? Jesus, why don't you go to the middle of the temple and let everybody see who you are. Let them all see that you're different. Let them all see that you can call on angels, that you are different, so that you can get the acclaim of man and it can validate who you are. Whoa, come on now. Don't lose it here. Track with me. Well, wait a minute. Isn't that what he came for? Didn't he die for that? Yes, he did, but he didn't live for that because my Bible says in John 5, 19 that Jesus, the Son, can do nothing of himself, and he is not here to receive the praise of man, but only to give it back to his Father in heaven. Woo! So when Satan tried to give Jesus the microphone, because when he tempted him and said, oh, those religious leaders, they'll follow you. They'll actually listen to you if you do this. He said, get away from me, Satan. My validation doesn't come from a stage or a microphone or a person. My recognition doesn't rest in what man can say or do to me, but my validation comes in the Father and what he says I am and who I am. Do you see it, y'all? Do you really see that? In the baptism, the Father said, this is my son who I love and I'm well pleased. Catch it. This is my son, identity, who I love, acceptance, and I'm well pleased, approval. That's the encounter. But how does Jesus facilitate it? He goes to the prayer meeting. Oh, my goodness. With the Father. And Jesus has a consistent prayer life with just the Father. He's consistently praying to God. Brothers and sisters, that is where you get your validation from. That is the only thing. That, that is the, I'm going to say it again. That is the only thing that can truly give you definition in your life. It's the only thing that can validate who you are. Because God understands you more than any other human being on the face of the earth. He formed you in the womb. He made you before you were born. He's the only one who should have the right to form and define who you are. He feeds us in that place. He feeds us in that place. That, you see, it's in the secret place. It's in that prayer meeting where you hear the voice of Jesus say, well done, well done. I know they don't understand, but I do, son. I understand what you're going through. Let me tell you something. You're awesome. You're awesome. You're so good. You're doing such a good job. You're inspiring me. You're inspiring me to have hope with the rest of humanity because you're standing on the wall and you say no and you're standing for truth in my word. I want you to know I love you. I want you to know I love you. I care for you. I'll do anything for you. I'm behind you. I'm excited about you. That's validation in the place of prayer. And when you have a consistency of that, this doesn't even phase you. Then you're not offended if nobody calls your name. I'm in the kitchen right now. I feel like I'm in the kitchen right now. I'm about to get in the bedroom. You know, you don't get offended if nobody knows your name. You, you don't get worked up. Listen, I'm, Lord Jesus, help me. I want a job Tuesday when I come in. Could it be, y'all, the purpose of the church the Bible says ecclesia, Greek word. Here's the deal. I've just learned this. 
Do you know the purpose of the church of why we come here on Sunday morning? What should be the, I think, the purpose what was intended in the Bible to be was that this was to be a time where we celebrate Christ, we celebrate one another, encourage one another, we gather around the teachings of the Lord, we gather around the Bible, fellowship, and community. But somewhere along the line here in church history, we've drifted off. And we've drifted to this place where I now depend on my spiritual nourishment in this two-hour service. And so many times I've heard in my life through people, I don't get fed there, so I'm going to leave there. But let me tell you what's wrong with that. This shouldn't be the place where you're getting fed. Hear what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying. I told you I'm going to get hot. That shouldn't be the primary spot for this right here. The primary place where you're to get fed is in your consistent prayer life with God in the closet. That's where Jesus got fed. You, do you think Jesus got fed in the temple? Did Peter and him get fed in the temple? They got thrown out of the temple. You see, what would it look like, Global River Church, if we all stepped into a place where we were having consistency in the prayer room and God was showing us revelation so that when we came to church, it didn't matter if the sermon was dry or not. It didn't matter if the worship was hidden or not. None of that mattered because you were fired up from the revelation you caught on Tuesday in your car to work. You couldn't wait to get here so you could tell Sally about Jesus. You're talking about throwing out darkness. Whew. Listen, y'all, let's just be real. This world is too dark. The culture is too invaded with sexual violence and pornography and culture division, racism. Under it's too dark for a two-hour service to provide the spiritual nourishment that we need for the week. No way. Listen, that's an unrealistic expectation, and it's going to form an unhealthy dependency because what's going to happen is when we depend on the man of God or the woman of God on the hour, they're going to preach a message maybe that's dry or we don't agree with or something's going on. Next thing you know, enemy starts working. Well, look over here. Look up, nah, that looks wrong too. That's not right. Then he starts moving you over here, moving over you here. Next thing you know, you'll be out the door. But God didn't call you out the door just yet. You got to persist. You got to stick in there. Let me tell you real quick. I'm going to get off this bandwagon. But here's on the preacher perspective. Because this is how God does it. I'm telling y'all, I've been with the Lord 14 years doing this. This is how it happens. Sometimes... God will give them, the messenger is responsible for hearing God's message and delivering it to the people. Now, someone over here, it may be dry and dull and not effective to them. But someone over here may be on the brink of suicide and that message saves their life. Do you see how that works? So when we move beyond the place of, I'm not just going to, you know, it's great if we get fed. Of course we want to get fed. Of course when we do, we do. But if we, that's not the primary purpose. And if we come here, especially those of us who have been here 5, 10, 15, 20 years, we need to come here on fire leading people to Jesus. I don't know, man. I, I just think something could happen and break out. Mm, my God. Yes, you guys got, you're on it. 
Listen, I've been in a lot of churches. This church has the most potential that I've ever seen and been in for me. I'm not just saying that. I've been in a mask amber. There is unending potential here. You know why I know that? Because God has put a call on this church to be a gateway church of revival to the city and the region. It's different, Pastor Tom. It's a different church. It's, that's not to boast. That's not to put anything down. There's a different anointing and calling on this house. Antioch Church. Sending church. Powerful church. Why do you think the enemies fought so hard against this place? You think this is the only church going through battles? Whoa! Let me tell you something. The enemy's working in every church. But you got to get all the way past that. You got to hear from God yourself. Where has He called you? What is He doing in your life? Where has He called you to commit to for His will for your life? Woo! But the third one is the hardest one. And that is are you willing to do it your way or God's way? Oh my God. Woo, Jesus. Oh, I want to recap that. <laughs> I get ahead of myself. That second challenge, where do you get your validation from? I want to encourage you. You get it from the prayer room in your personal private life. That's where you're going to get it, folks. That's where I've gotten it. Even school and Bible school. I've been in Bible school for all my life almost, it seems. Learned some good stuff, but I don't get fed through that. I don't. I get fed on when I go in my car or I go in my office and I go away with Jesus. And I spend time with him and he nourishes me. Amen. I want to encourage you that. Okay, the last challenge we talk about, third challenge. Are we willing to do it God's way? Oh, man. Matthew 4, 8 and 11. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms. Everybody say all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I'll give to you, Satan said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him, and the angels came and attended to Jesus. Amen. The third challenge, perhaps, I think is probably the most difficult, is you know you're committed to the Lord. You've made that commitment. You're beyond that. Now you know there's a plan for you, Jeremiah 29, and it's a good plan. Plans to prosper you, to bring you into abundance, the abundant life, freedom, blessing. Right? That's the will. That's the inheritance laid up for you. Even on this side, we have eternal life on the other side, but even on this side, we have that promise of that abundance of life. But the third thing is, how are you going to get there? How are you going to get there? There's a way only marked out that you can travel. So this third temptation on the mountain, you got to go in that conversation. Here's Satan who says, now I'm going to give you all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Before I'm going to give you the praise of man at the temple, but now I'm going to give you all the kingdoms in the splendor of the earth. The Father's most treasured possession. I'm going to give it to you, Jesus. Now don't you know, I believe this, that Satan... And both Jesus knew that that was Jesus' ultimate destiny. Jesus knew that. He was before the foundation of the world. Who will go for me? Here I am, send me. The Lord knew that. I mean, Jesus knew that was the promise. That was the inheritance. Satan even knew that. That was what he is destined for. But do you see how he works it in? 
And he goes, but listen, Jesus, listen, because you and I both know that the way to get to that inheritance is going to be hard. You and I both know it's going to be very difficult. Matter of fact, Jesus, you and I both know that you're going to have to be rejected in Nazareth by your own community. We, you and I both know that you're going to have to walk through relational failures with people all around, your, all around you. You're, you're going to have to walk through and go through places where your most trusted disciples and friends are going to leave you. You're going to have to feel, Jesus, what it's like to be betrayed and to be denied, to be abandoned and to be depressed, to be all kinds of ways. Why? Because the Bible says he had to become tempted in every form of man so that he could qualify as our high priest and identify in our weakness. He had to go through those things. There were some joys along the way. There was some breakthrough along the way, some good stuff along the way. But let's be real. There were some hardships along the way. He had to go to Samaria. He had to go to that woman at the well. He had to go to Jairus' home. He had to go to these places. But then when it got hard, oh, my Lord, he had to go into opposition. Pharisees, Sadducees coming against him. He had to walk through verbal abuse. I don't know if anybody's ever been through that before in here. He had to walk through ridicule. He had to walk through what it was like to be all alone and to never fit in. He had to walk through what it was like to be homeless because he couldn't lay his head down for three years. He had to walk through what it was like to be an outcast, not accepted in a culture or a society for who he really was. He had to walk through that. He had to walk through a process where he could use the divine right in heaven's blessings, but lay that aside and endure and take the accusations as they came. He had to go through even physical trauma where he was beaten, spit on, crown of thorns, his body ripped into shreds. He had to lay down his flesh on that cross and be mutilated. He had to go through the Gethsemane and pour sweats of blood over the, the weight, the weight of, of not failing like Adam did. He's probably saying in that garden, Adam failed. They didn't make it. It was too hard. They lost it. What if I don't do it? What if I lose it? Father, take this cup from me. If there's another way. Heaven all silent. Because the reality is there is no other way. There is no other way. So when all, as Pastor Tom liked to say, slew foot, Satan, Lucifer, comes to Jesus and says, why are you going to go that way when you can take a shortcut to me and then you can get what you already know is coming? And that's how the devil works in our lives. He comes to you to tempt you to take the shortcut and the bell out of there when it gets hard. But let me tell you something about Jesus. There is no 
crossless price. And there is no bloodless victory. There is no price that he didn't have to pay because he had to go through all of that. Why? Because he was committed to the Father, his will, and the way marked out for him. He was consecrated unto life and unto death. Woo. That's discipleship. That's what the Lord is raising up in his body. Man, what a strong, what a strong thing that is. Many believers bail when it gets too hard and it gets too tough. I understand. I really do. I see it all the time. There could be so many legitimate needs about that. But hear the Lord this morning. You have to stay faithful, y'all. And you have to continue to be committed and consecrated until there's a release, until there's a new door, until something opens up. That's the way you do it. You don't bail out because it gets hard, and you don't stop fighting because you don't see a breakthrough or because it's overwhelming. You dig into the place of prayer. You set your heart like flint. You set your face on the eyes of Jesus, and you stand and hang in there until he comes through. Last few words on this. Man, you think about it. I love this part. Because, Jesus, and another level, Satan is telling Jesus, look, you know those other two miracles, the bread, the stones in the bread, throwing yourself down the temple, angels. If you really look at it from another perspective, those are performance-based miracles. They're performance-based. In other words, Satan is trying to tempt Jesus to get him to perform out of his own ability so that he can receive what he already has. I'm going to say that again. He is trying to tempt Jesus to perform on the basis of his ability so that he can receive what he already has, the inheritance. That's what he does to us. He tries to trap us in this thinking that what you do overpowers who you are. But my brothers and sisters, who you are is always more powerful than what you can do. Because who you are is on the sole basis of how God defines your life. That's why it's more powerful. So our inheritance, your inheritance in this life, if you look at it this way, is like a lock and key. It's locked up. It's locked. But until we make these commitments and follow through, what happens is it begins to get unlocked. But it's unlocked on the basis of how well you step into who you are. It's, it's how well in the secret place you allow God to give you value and to feed you of, of your character. And you stand on that truth. Then you let him work. That's how the inheritance gets unlocked, y'all. Woo! I'm going to end with this story because it's really fresh about this, how our identity unlocks our inheritance. See, there's no shortcut. Okay, many of you know this. Some of you may not. In two minutes, Jesus, help me. For some time, I have known since I've been following the Lord, didn't know in the beginning, but as I walked with him, he began to unfold something about my life. And I began to notice, especially when I came to Wilmington, like in 2012, it really became clear. And God began to just, I don't know, he just began to burden my heart and connect me with the African-American community. Just, I just, it was just natural. It was easy for me to make black friends, black pastors, and just have a love for that community. Me and my dad talked about this because I watched my dad growing up in jail and prison ministry in the African-American community for years. And then I remember dad would tell me stories of my granddad, who I never met, who in the time of segregation actually hired 
a black man to work together in a ring shop because he just always had a love and affinity for the African-American community. So I grew up hearing this, seeing this, and then it starts happening. Here's another interesting thing. When Amber and I were at a conference years ago, before Bethany was born, or right when Bethany was born, no, right after Bethany was born, because Amber was like, I'm not having any more kids. That was our fourth. <laughs> we, were, we were at a conference in Virginia, and I remember we had our table with the book display, and next to us was another table display, and it was an African-American intercessor lady working the table. I wasn't there. Amber told me that she wrote it down. The lady looked at Amber and says, ma'am, I'm sorry, but I just, can I pray for you? I have a word for you. And so she looks at Amber, doesn't know anything, doesn't even know we have kids, doesn't even know she's married. And she goes, I, I just, she asked her if she was married, you know, that all came out. She goes, but you're going to have another baby. <laughs> Amber's like, what? And she said, it's going to be a son. Didn't know we had four girls. Said, you're going to have a son. And went on to tell my wife what this son will be like. And made this statement, we got it in the journal, this is six years ago. He will be like a black man in a white man's body that will break down racial barriers and racial challenges in his culture. Now, y'all heard me say that, that I feel like I'm a black man in a white man's body. It's just who I am. Well, I was like, wow, that kind of fits. She didn't know. That's exciting. Well, we um, in the place of intimacy, praying with God and doing a lot of digging. You guys know that I, I love genealogy because I really believe that even in our natural DNA, our natural inheritance from our forefathers really plays into who we are today. Now, I'm not saying it's the all-defining feature, that's God, but I am saying there are things in the past in our family lines that are carried through. Some of them, I think, need to be broken, don't need to come through, and other ones need to be resurfaced and revisited. Blessings need to come through, right? So a lot of times for me, what that looks like is I'll either be in prayer, reading, studying in the Word about this because it always seems crazy, so I want to find it in the Bible. But in the midst of that, I'm also researching, and I'm looking into my inheritance in my, in my, in my family. So I found one thing out of my main Thornton family line. I've traced us back in the first Thornton that came to America in the 1600s in Virginia. And I have located what my assignment and purpose has been is to locate where everyone's buried. All my direct great-grandfathers up until my 15th great-grandfather that came into Virginia. I have located and found the burial site of every one of them except one. Except one. Even the 1600s, we've been there. But this one, it's, it's, it's not even that old. It's from the 1890s. And his name was Richard W. Thornton. My name is Richard Michael Thornton. My dad was Richard Leroy Thornton. And I started digging because I want to find out where he was. Well, turns out I started finding some information. Found out that he's buried in a private residence somewhere outside of Goldsboro in the community called Grantham. Found some newspaper articles that led me there. So now as I'm digging, I begin to discover something. That this guy was a Civil War Confederate veteran. He did fight for the Confederacy in the South. Became a prisoner of war. Went to Ohio. He was an officer in the Civil War. Was released after the war and came back to Fayetteville. Listen to this, where he joined three of his brothers. I'm going somewhere. He had three other brothers. These would be my great-great-uncles by blood, and they started a dry goods wholesale business in Fayetteville in the 1860s. Well, why is that interesting? As I started digging, I realized something. 
one of his brothers actually became the wealthiest wholesale distributor in the state of North Carolina. He actually had four department stores in Fayetteville, and they were called the Frank W. Thornton stores. I thought, wow. Well, the other brother was Alvin Thornton, my other great-great-uncle and the brother of Richard Thornton. As I dug a little deep, I found a newspaper article. I literally dropped the computer when I read it. I literally, I mean, I called my dad. He dropped the phone and couldn't even answer. It was, I couldn't get it out. It was so wild. I said, you won't believe what I found, Dad. He said, what is it? Turns out that this descendant of mine, Alvin Thornton, was a wealthy politician in Fayetteville who at the time was a leader of the Republican Party. Why is that important? Because in 1860s, after the Civil War in North Carolina, the Republican Party was Abraham Lincoln's party, and it was also the party of the African American. That's truth. The Democratic Party at the time was the party of the white slave owners who launched the white supremacy campaign. So then I see he's a wealthy guy, politician, but this is what the article says. I couldn't believe it. It said, Frank W. Thornton, first man in the state of North Carolina to marry a black woman. Alvin Thornton, my uncle, said that after the Civil War, through military decree from the federal government, had a marriage down in Fayetteville in an African-American bishop of the Methodist AME Zion Church married them. <laughs> lived to be 85 years old and is the only white man buried in a black cemetery in Fayetteville. Are you hearing that? Whoa. Had five children. Five. And the article went out, and they weren't popular back then. Scathed him. I got the article. Scathed him called him names, vilified my uncle, put him down in the mud. It said, put a curse on him, said he would be a man of shame and contempt for what he's done to his state in the South. Even his whole family was driven apart because his brother was a Confederate general. So it split my family apart, and they went away, and the inheritance was lost and broken and family division. Why is God revealing all this? Because could it be possible that down the line, generations later, the Lord is awaking us up to go and stand in the place of prayer? Because God wants to right a wrong that happened 100 years ago so that our family inheritance can come back again. Come on. Woo. Last thing here. I thought about it. The first Interracial marriage is what the article said. My great-great-uncle broke the barrier. He broke the barrier. There's DNA in my bloodline that broke the barrier. That gives context to why I believe I'm a black man in a white man's body. Hey! Woo! Come on! Jesus! Hey! Woo. It's our identity in Christ that unlocks the inheritance that we're promised. Not in our ability to make it happen.
Stand with me, please. Jesus is Lord. I can't help it, Pastor Tom. Woo. <laughs> Woo, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. I'll invite the worship team, guys. Can you come on up here? I just feel the Lord moving. Before we transition out of here, I just feel the Spirit of the Lord. Mm. And the challenge is here today, y'all. Whoo, thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Let's just go to him. Just connect with him right now. Thank you, Father. Lord, what are you showing us today, Lord? Lord, what you're speaking to us about commitment. Lord, are we all in? Lord, are we all out? Father, I just thank you right now. Come, Holy Spirit. I invite you into this place. Just invite you into this moment right now. Just begin to focus on the Lord for the next few moments. Just take a moment. Just begin to see him. Just begin to see his face. Just begin to see his voice. Hear his voice. God, we just thank you. I just feel like he's going to speak something specific to you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I, I just felt... You guys can go ahead too whenever you're ready. I just felt the Lord about commitment. And he's really calling us to a higher standard. And this is what I'm getting in my spirit right now. Two things. The first thing I'm getting is that I think we've also made some false commitments. And we've been held under some false declarations and words or commitments that we've made. And I just feel like Jesus wants to release you from that today. He wants to free you from any commitment that you've made that's not been of him. There's grace here today for that. But then the other thing is, and I don't know how we do this, but I just feel the Lord. And that he wants, I feel like he wants to have a call of commitment. Like, will you be willing to commit your life to the Lord? Will you be willing to commit your life to his will? I shared with you my life and journey. But what is your life and journey? What is your will and destiny that he has for you? And I feel like God is calling us to the place of commitment. He wants us to commit that we're going to follow through with that no matter what it takes or how hard it gets. And the commitment to the way. We want to be committed to only the journey and the path you've marked out for us. So if that's any of you this morning and you just want to maybe you want to reaffirm that commitment. You want to stand in the gap and say, today I'm renewing my commitment to follow the Lamb wherever He leads me. Will you come up forward this morning? Will you just come up? Maybe maybe you're here today and you say, look, I've gotten off track. I need to commit back to the way, back to the path, back to the original journey that He had me on because I've drifted away. Come on in here. Let Him see your commitment. Just stepping forward, that moves His heart. It's an act of faith. I want you guys, as you come forward, just begin to line up and just begin to declare. Just begin to pray. Talk to him. Talk to him. Let him know. Let him know that you're going to commit. Let him know that you're in it for the long haul. Let him know that you want to follow him and him alone. I believe the Lord is going to lift off burdens here. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. 
Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Just begin to speak to Him. Put it on the altar this morning. Put it on the altar this morning. Put it on the altar. He became the sacrifice so you don't have to be. Put it on the altar. Put that child on the altar today. Put that marriage on the altar today. Put it there today. Commit yourself to Jesus, not to a man, not to a revival or a movement even, not to a justice or a cause, but commit your life to Christ and to Christ alone. Commit your life to the burning man who gave himself for you, who laid on the cross, who died and rose again, who sits at the right hand of the Father, who longs to love you. Commit yourself to that man. only one worthy. Whoo! Thank you, Lord. I just feel the Spirit of the Lord coming. I feel the Spirit of the Lord coming in. I want you guys to just begin to lift your voice with me. Just begin to, in your own way, begin to thank Him. Begin to worship Him. Begin to praise Him. Come on, Lord Jesus. Come on, Lord Jesus. Come on, Lord Jesus. Come on, build it with me, guys. Passion behind it. Mean it from your heart. Break every chain. Come on, tell that thing it's got to move in your life. Tell that thing it's got to go away. Tell that thing it cannot stand. Tell that thing cancer has to bow. Depression has to bow. Anxiety has to bow. Generational curses have to bow. Divorce has to bow. Tell it to, come on, you got to do it. You got to proclaim it. There is power in your tongue to give life and to give death. Stir it up, Jesus. Stir it up, Jesus. Stir it up, Jesus. We're committing to you, Jesus. We're committing our lives to you, Lord. Total abandonment. There is no plan B. There is no backtracking. There is no former job. There is no former plan. I don't know where else to go. Peter said, you have the words of life. Where else can I go? We're in it too deep. We're in it too far now, Lord. We want to follow you. We want to follow you, Jesus. We want to follow you, Jesus. We want to go where you go, Lord. We don't want to do it our way. We want to do it your way, God. We want to do it your way, Lord. I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm tired of doing it my way, Lord. Only you, God. Only your way, Jesus. I trust in you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Just give give the Lord a shout. Just give the Lord. Come on. Come on. Thank you. Come on, Jesus. Just begin to shout. He's matchless. He's matchless. 
He's matchless. He's matchless. He's incomparable. He's inexpressible. You can't understand him. You can't live without him. There is nothing like him. Give him praise. Don't stop. Give him praise. Give him praise. Give him praise. Come on. Give him praise. Give him praise. Has he set you free? Has he set you free? Woo. Let's go out of here singing worship with all of our hearts. Go ahead, guys. Lead us on.